Good morning, everyone. If you're visiting with us, welcome. What we uh, usually do in our worship services after our, our singing and the um, scripture reading, we usually go verse by verse through books in the Bible, and we're doing that lately. We're working our way through the book of Romans, and um, last time we finished the first half of chapter 7 in Romans, and that's where we're going to pick things up again next Sunday, Lord willing. Um, today we're taking a, a, a little break. We're still going to be in Romans. We're going to be looking at chapter 14, um, but it's going to be more, more topical. When we get to Romans 14 in our series through Romans, we're going to go through it again. Um, but I feel like I really do need to address the, uh, the elephant in the room. Um, this is like all everyone talks about before the service and after the service. And uh, I feel like I'd be remiss if we didn't um, address the subject of the, of the vaccine mandates in particular uh, from, from a biblical perspective. And let me also qualify what I'm about to say. Uh, I'm not going to preach for or against the, the vaccines. What I'm arguing for is what I think the Bible demands of us, and that's freedom of individual convictions. If you'd like more um, information, a, a sermon that is more direct, aimed at the mandates, I recommend a sermon by Jeff Durbin um, called uh, Christian Response to Mandated Cookies. <laughs> a Christian Response to Mandated Cookies. It's on YouTube. A very, very good message. So let's work our way calmly and uh, graciously and biblically through this subject. We're going to be using Romans chapter 14 as our guide. And uh, let's take a step way back and just paint a, a big picture that Paul paints for us in Romans chapter 14. Um, here's the big picture. There's, there's you. And this is meant to be an inclusive you, so... Hopefully you feel included in the you up there. That's you. It's me as well. And uh, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to ask big questions. Here, here we are. And we're supposed to ask questions like, well, where did we come from? How did we end up in this life? And what is our life all about? And, of course, the Bible answers those big questions. That's what makes the Bible such a glorious book. It does give us answers to those big questions. And it tells us, in fact, that we are to view ourselves not as autonomous, independent, isolated beings like islands unto ourselves, but we're supposed to think of us as dependent beings who are accountable to God. And that's because God's the one who made us. God's our maker. He's our designer. And God has made us in his image. That means there are key areas in which we're, we're similar to God. We're, we're not gods in any way, shape, or form, but we are like God in certain key areas. 
areas like the ability to know the difference between good and evil and to, to reason and to recognize logic and truth and love and beauty. And primarily, the reason why God made us in his image is so that we would uh, glorify and enjoy God forever. That's why we're here, to know God, to love God, to glorify him and to worship and serve him. And the Bible says that uh, because of this grand purpose of our existence, God is going to bring each one of us to account. We read in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, for example, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And the standard of judgment that God will use is his law. And we've seen that in, back in Romans chapter 3. And with respect to God's law, we're told in Romans 3 verses 19 through 20 that uh, every mouth will be stopped and the whole world will be guilty before God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And the way this works for us individually is that God's law is written on our hearts and we have a conscience and there's all kinds of things that come our way in terms of daily decisions and even the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And what we're going to be talking about is, is Christian liberty, liberty of conscience, liberty of individual convictions, but there is no liberty when it comes to our accountability to God. That's a very important concept to grasp. There's nothing that is beyond the, out of bounds, beyond the pale of the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of God. We're going to give an account for everything. Not only what we do, but what we don't do. He who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We're going to give an account for the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus says even that we're going to give an account for our words. By your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Everything is on the table in terms of our accountability before God. But this is where the Christian gospel comes in. The, the reason why th that arrow is green and not red, and the circle is green and not red on the diagram, is because believers in Christ have been delivered from condemnation. We have been saved from wrath, saved from judgment. We're going to see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation to the one who is in Christ Jesus. And the reason for that is that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So, as believers, this judgment seat of Christ is not about our eternal destiny. It's not about our salvation. 
but it is still giving an account. We're, we're going to uh, show by our fruits whether we're genuine Christians or not. And there are going to be rewards that God is going to allocate based on our faithfulness uh, to him in this life. So there's this big picture of our existence and our accountability before God. But as we know, it's not even as simple as that. Because as believers, we've been called not just into fellowship with God, and thank God he has called us into fellowship with himself. We have been reconciled to God through, through Christ. But in addition to that, we've also been called into fellowship with other believers. We've been called into fellowship with the body of Christ. And so we have brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 13 and 14, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. But here's where it gets complicated. Because... Here you have this circle around you, I have this circle around me, which represents all kinds of conceivable applications of, of the law of God in our lives. And it turns out that our brothers and sisters in the Lord, they have their implications of God's law in their lives as well. They have their own conscience they have their own personal, individual convictions. And guess what? They're probably different than yours. Have you ever met another Christian who has all the same personal convictions as you do? I never have. Um, the most like-minded person in the world with me is my wife. And we have different personal convictions about a number of things, by the way. But we're able to be married and to live together in love and, and unity and grace and acceptance and understanding. And that's what we're called to do as believers as well. Paul commands us in Ephesians 4 and verse 3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And before I leave this particular slide, let me just remind you that uh, even though our convictions are different from one another, we're still called by God to live consistently with our own convictions, with our conscience. We're called by God to never go against our conscience. But then we're supposed to remember that my conscience is my conscience and your conscience is your conscience. So then how do we do this? How do we maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? How do we uh, ensure that we can actually have Christian community and not just 
individual churches with a congregation of one? Well, Paul says in Romans 14 that we're not supposed to judge one another regarding our individual convictions. In verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 14, Paul wrote, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Therefore, in verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never put, to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of, an, uh, uh, of your brother. So don't judge. That's the Bible's solution. But that has its own complications too, doesn't it? Because there are some things that are absolutes. There are some things that are non-negotiable. There are some things that if you observe in my life, you're called to not have fellowship with me. And the Bible defines these things as explicit universal requirements of God's law. There's no getting around these particular things. You can't have your opinion and I have my opinion and we're going to agree to disagree on these particular issues. Well, like, what are those issues? Well, the Apostle John helps us when he wrote in uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is defined in terms of God's law. The, um, the writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism recognized that, and so they, they elaborated on John's words when they said in answer to the question in the catechism, what is sin? And the answer is, sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's what sin is. Jesus put it another way when he was uh, preaching against his adversaries in his day, the Jewish religious leaders, he said to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's a helpful verse, Matthew 23 and verse 23. What Jesus is basically saying is that the Pharisees and the scribes had all of these detailed applications of the law. They judged other people 
with respect to them. And then there are these weightier matters of the law that are absolute, unchanging. Everyone's accountable to them. And those things they, they neglected. In, in summary, these explicit universal requirements of God's law are summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is God's own summary of his moral law. So basically, if we break God's law in the form of the Ten Commandments, and especially if we live a lifestyle that is contradictory to the Ten Commandments, then we do have a responsibility to, to one another, and it's to call each other to repentance. In fact, that's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So the next book over from Romans is 1 Corinthians, and notice chapter 5. Listen to Paul in verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. By the way, what is sexual immorality? Uh, God has designed sexual relations as a gift from him to be enjoyed between a husband, who is a man, and a wife who is a woman. Within that context, sex is a gift, green light. Outside of that context, sex is forbidden, red light. So outside of that context of a, uh, a husband and wife, that's sexual immorality. And the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament said that uh, marriage is honorable before all and the marriage bed, a euphemism, the marriage bed is, is holy, but adulterers and uh, the sexually immoral, God will judge. In other words, those who use the marriage bed without the covenant of, of marriage. Anyway, Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So this is going on in the church, within the membership of the church. And what is that form of sexual immorality? Paul says, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant, he says to the church, Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. That's excommunication. And Paul is going to go on and uh, instruct them regarding that. But then notice verses 12 through 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? The sexual immorality that he's concerned with is not going on within the city of Corinth. Well, I mean, it was going on within the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was known for its debauchery and impurity, but that's not what Paul is writing to them about. He's writing about 
the sexual immorality taking place inside the church among the members. Is it not those inside the church, listen to these words, whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, when it comes to these detailed implications of God's law in our life, our convictions of conscience, we are going to be different on a lot of points. A lot of points we're going to line up on, but there's going to be differences. But here, when it comes to the explicit, universal requirements of God's law, there can be no negotiation And the Bible calls us to actually judge one another regarding those. So here's a question for you to help you categorize um, activities that other people do that you may not agree with or that you may not approve of. Is the activity that bothers you, is it lawlessness? Is it an explicit universal violation of God's law? Is it part of the Ten Commandments that God writes on our hearts? Is it part of that which separates people from Christ? Remember, Uh, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, he's going to say to people whom he didn't know, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. Does that thing that you disagree with in your brother or your sister, is is that going to be something that's going to separate them from Christ forever? Is it something that if unrepented of, Christ says, I never knew you? And you see the point. If you answer no to those things, then receive your brother in the Lord just as as God has received them. Love your brother or sister in the Lord just as God loves them. Treat them as believers. Treat them as brethren, not as someone who has a different conviction in whatever matter than you do. And of course, we can talk about a whole bunch of things that fall in these categories, but there's one thing that we we can't avoid. It's the elephant in the room. It's the COVID vaccination. So let's talk about that seriously. Let's evaluate both sides of the controversy from the perspective of Romans chapter 14. And remember... I am not trying to talk anyone into getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. I'm truly, sincerely not. But I want to talk you through, from a biblical perspective, how to evaluate the the conundrum so that we know how to live with one another in unity and harmony and love. So let's look at this side of the controversy first. The question is, is not taking the vaccine 
a violation of the explicit universal requirements of God's law. And President Biden helped me out here with the, the illustration because on, uh, well, last week, either Thursday or Friday, he had a town hall on CNN and uh, he, he was basically mocking those who um, are not persuaded regarding the vaccine. And, and he said, from the vantage point of them, in other words, basically pretending to be someone objecting to the vaccine. He said, I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. So this is being said. It's the president of the United States. I actually had somebody on Friday, uh, I say, accost me at work and step me and basically repeat this, repeat this argument to me. I, I, was, I was taken aback a little bit. So this is out there. People think that if you don't get vaccinated, you are guilty of murder. I mean, isn't that what those words say? I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. So how do we evaluate that? And remember, it's from the perspective of is not taking the vaccine a violation of the explicit universal requirements of God's law. So the first little subpoint there is vaccines aren't the only form of immunity. That's what's behind this objection. The only way for immunity is through the vaccination. That's why if you don't get vaccinated, you're not immune and you're guilty of murder. And the reality is that vaccinated immunity is not the only form of immunity against COVID. Natural immunity is probably um, what has ended every one of the waves, and that's probably what is ending the, the current wave of, of COVID. In fact, um, let's see, there is a, a paper in Science Magazine, and the article is, the headline is, Having SARS-CoV-2 Once confers much greater immunity than a vaccine. That's in Science Magazine. If you're interested, here it is. I'll, I'll give it to you. And there's been other studies. And then the second point. Vaccines don't stop the spread. Vaccines don't stop the spread. I mean, we've heard that right, that there, there are so-called breakthrough infections, people who have been vaccinated and then they, they get sick. And we've also heard that um, the vaccine, it's, it only protects against blood infections of COVID. They don't protect you against COVID viruses within your nasal phalanx. In fact, Dr. Fauci himself said that the uh, viral load in the nasal phalanx is similar between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. So whether you get the vaccine or not, you could have COVID in your nasal or sinus cavities. Um, but then there's, there's the effectiveness of the vaccines themselves that, that's the assumption of this kind of 
charge. And I'm thankful for the effectiveness, the relative effectiveness of the vaccines, but, I mean, there is a limit. So, for example, in uh, the Lancet, there's um, a study that was recently done, basically from um, oh, Kaiser, based on Kaiser Permanente data, and there were millions of people that they reported on. And the conclusion was that uh, uh, COVID-related hospital ad admissions among fully vaccinated people was 90%, and pra praise God for that. That was the effectiveness. And then effectiveness against inf infections was much lower than that. In, um, in, on average, it's like 77%. It's in the 70s percent. When in the first month of being fully vaccinated, the effectiveness against infections is 88%. And within five months, five months of being fully vaccinated, this is according to Lancet uh, magazine, the uh, protection from getting infected declines to 47%. Did you catch that? So... There's this figure that I've heard of, I'm sure you have too, that the vaccines are 96% effective. Well, for one thing, that was during their uh, clinical trials among, among 60,000 people. But their effective, their greatest effectivity is against death and hospitalization. They've never been 96 or 95% effective against infection itself. It's much lower than that. And their effectiveness drops off very fast within five months, 47%. All right, the third bullet. This is not a fair statement. I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID because the vast majority of COVID cases don't lead to death. Just this morning, the, according to Johns Hopkins University, uh, in the entirety of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the survival rate, the, the observed case fatality rate, so that means those who get the virus, the, um, is 1.6%. So the flip side of that is 98.4%. That's among everybody, and that's from the very beginning. So um, accusing somebody of murder based on something that has a very high survival rate is not fair. That's not a fair charge. The fourth bullet, bullet there, the vaccines themselves have adverse health risks. They're, they're not risk-free. The government maintains a database. It's VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events uh, Reporting System. And they've had this from, uh, for a long time. And do, do you know that within the United States, we're approaching 700,000 reported adverse e events as a result of the vaccines which is more than all other vaccines combined. 
And among those reported adverse effects, there have been 8,878 reports of death. People are dying as a result of the vaccines. Now, I'm not here to say that it's 50% or I, I readily grant that's a small number, relatively speaking, compared to the 413 million uh, doses of the vaccines so far. But there, the, I feel, and a lot of other people feel as well, like the vaccines are being pushed on us, now they're being mandated, as if there are no reported deaths. And the other thing is that the reputation of the VAERS da database has always been that it underreports because it's voluntary. And, uh, and previous to COVID, the estimate was that um, uh, it's underreporting by a factor of 8 to 10. So if that's true, if it's true, I don't know that it's true, there could be 88,000 actual deaths resulting from the, from the vaccine. I, I don't know. I'm just saying that the vaccines themselves have adverse health risks. And then finally, vaccines have uncharacterized long-term health risk. They've only been around for a short period of time. And as much as I appreciated the effort of Operation Warp Speed, they were developed and tested and made, uh, put into the public at warp speed. And so we don't know about the long-term health effects, like antibody-dependent enhancement, which is a really innocuous-sounding thing. The, what this leads to is death, ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement. And this has always been the plague of mRNA vaccines. This is the, these are the first vaccines that have ever made it to market without this huge problem of antibody-dependent enhancement, which makes me wonder, well, what about the long-term? What about the long-term health effects from blood clots? People are dying from blood clots. What about heart attack and stroke? What about immune system disorders? Cancer. Every time I go to fill up gas, there's a stupid label on the gas pump that says the substance from this gas pump is known to the state of California to cause cancer. Well, what about <clears throat> the long-term cancer risk from the COVID vaccines? We don't know. What about infertility? Do you know that a lot of women are reporting changes to their menstrual cycles after having the COVID vaccines? There must be some sort of interaction between the vaccine and the female reproductive system. What's the long-term effect of that? Are fertility rates going to go down? We don't know. But all of these are reasons not to be against the vaccine. That's not my point. But these are all reasons to make a charge like this. I have the freedom to kill you with my covid unfair, untrue, and ridiculous. Not taking the vaccine is not a violation of the explicit universal requirements of God's law. 
And if you want to have more of a discussion about that, I'll meet with you. But let's move on. What's the other side of the controversy or um, possible controversy? Is taking the vaccine a violation of the explicit universal requirements of God's law? This is the other side of the coin. <clears throat> For example, how could, how could taking the vaccine possibly be sinful? We would have to identify commandments from the Ten Commandments that it explicitly violates. And maybe there are more than this. What I thought of in terms of a possibility, I'm not saying these are true. I'm saying, okay, hypothetically, what are the commandments that, the, that taking the vaccine could violate? Idolatry? Well, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Paul also deals with this whole matter of individual uh, convictions, liberty of conscience, as he does in Romans chapter 14, but it has to do with a specific issue or controversy going on in the church in Corinth, and it had to do with uh, eating foods that were offered to idols. And uh, there were some people in the church who were, who, whose consciences were so sensitive against idolatry Maybe that was their past. Maybe they themselves used to offer up food as sacrifices to idols in their BC days. And now that they're saved, now that they're Christians, they want to have nothing to do with that. And so not only are they uh, conscientiously avoiding meat sacrificed to idols, they're going to get rid of meat altogether and only eat vegetables. Anyway, Paul deals with this controversy in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. In chapter 8 and verse 4, he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, here's the theology of it. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. In other words, idols are just figments of sinful people's imaginations. They, they don't actually exist and therefore, even food that was offered up to idols is still a nothingness because the idol is nothing. And so the food itself is untainted. The food itself is unaffected. Verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. That's a great statement from the Apostle Paul. Whether you eat or don't eat, and I'll just go ahead and say, whether you are vaccinated or not vaccinated, that is not going to commend you to God, and you will not be any worse off in terms of your relationship with God. Of course, if you were vaccinated, you would, I assume you would do that because you would be better off in terms of your health or your job, but that's not what Paul is talking about. 
He's talking about our relationship with God. You're no worse off if you do, no worse off or no better off if you do not. It's not idolatry in and of itself. It can be. It can be. It can represent idolatry in the heart. But that, again, involves our consciences and we don't have the freedom to judge one another for idolatry in the heart. We do have freedom to judge one another regarding outward, obvious, explicit idolatry. And so if somebody takes the vaccine and while they're doing that, they say a prayer to the NIH or the CDC, then we'll talk to them because that is no doubt idolatry. But other than that, there's, uh, there's not sufficient grounds to label it as idolatry in and of itself. Well, what about murder? And here, that's the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And basically, there would be two categories, self-murder, and the position here would be that you're, you're uh, knowingly taking something that is bad for you. It's going to lead to your death. And the reality in the case of the vaccines is that the FDA has officially approved them as safe and effective. No controversy in that statement. Or there's no controversy that the statement was made, right? You go to the CD, CDC website, you turn on the mainstream news media, you go to the doctor, maybe you go to work and that's all you're going to hear. The vaccines are safe and effective. That's what the FDA has said. They've signed up to it. They have approved um, at least the... Fi Did they approve the, the Moderna? No, okay. So the Pfizer, the, the uh, Pfizer vaccine has been approved by the FDA as safe and effective. Here's, here's my point. And again, I'm not trying to tell you that they're safe and effective. I'm trying to instruct your conscience as you look at somebody else. The FDA has said that, and so if they're not safe, then the sin is the responsibility of the FDA <laughs> because they're the ones who've said they're safe and effective. Go take them. Not necessarily the individual following their guidance. And then I mentioned to you theirs, the uh, vaccine adverse events reporting system, if the, um, the number uh, is actually 8,800 deaths, and then you, report, you divide that by 413 million events, which is the number of shots, then the, the risk is that, is it up there? It's that number, 0.0022%. So that's, that's the risk of death, short-term granted, of the adverse effects from the vaccine, let's say, well, but deaths are underreported. Well, how much are they underreported? If they're underreported by, uh, by a hundredfold, then that makes the risk of death from the vaccines 0.22%. If they're underreported by a thousandfold, so in other words, instead of 8,800 and something deaths, it's actually 8 million deaths 
from the vaccine. That's still only 2.2%. And so just as I believe that those who agree with President Biden's statement don't have the ground to charge those who aren't vaccinated with murder, so those who are not vaccinated don't have the grounds to charge the vaccinated with murder based on the risk of death. It's still so low. Well, what about the long-term health effects? Well, as we've agreed, those are unknown and to be taken seriously. But we can't judge somebody else in terms of the explicit universal requirements of God's law based on the unknown. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says that the, um, the hidden things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We're not to deal in terms of what the unknown we're to deal in terms of what is known. And then the other category of murder is the murder of unborn babies. And here I'm talking about the fact that, um, as I understand it, all of the vaccines that are uh, either available for use now in the U.S. or will be, they all involve, in some way, shape, or form, fetal tissue that has been um, derived from aborted babies, murdered unborn babies. That's a problem with fetal tissue. It makes it sound so nice and sterile and, and amoral. But fetal tissue, that comes from murdered unborn babies. I saw a brother's request for a uh, religious exemption recently. And one of his grounds was this association. And uh, his, his superior rejected his exemption by saying, well, there's other vaccines that aren't, that don't have this association. Well, like I said, as I understand it, it's not true. A according to the Charlotte Lozier Institute, um, two of the vaccines were actually produced using uh, fetally derived tissue, that's the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. The, the others were not, did, did not involve fetal tissue in the development and production of the vaccines, but every single one of them used that tissue in lab testing. Check it out, the Charlotte Lozier Institute. But the problem with judging your brother or your sister regarding that is that it turns out there's a lot of medicines that are available to all of us that we probably use that have that same kind of association. Here's just a list of some. Acetaminophen, albuterol, aspirin, ibuprofen, Tylenol, Pepto-Bismol, Tums, Lipitor, Sinocat, which I obviously don't take, I can't pronounce it. Motrin, Maalox, Exlax, Benadryl, Sudafid, Preparation H, Claritin, Prilosec, and Zoloft, and others. All of those over the counter, well, not all of them over the counter, but all of those uh, widely used medications 
have some association in the development, production, or lab testing uh, involving um, fetal tissue. And that also includes other vaccines as well. And here, here's my point. I'll repeat for the 16th time. I'm not trying to talk anybody into getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. I'm trying to instruct our consciences regarding how we look at one another. And so I believe that you don't have grounds to judge a brother or sister in the Lord based on the COVID uh, vaccine associations with uh, fetal tissue. Fetal tissue? Um, and, and, unless you're willing to also have the same kind of conscientious, conscientious objection to all of these other medications. And give your brother or your sister the benefit of the doubt. Maybe your brother or your sister, now that they've heard the information, maybe they're going to be less prone to use medications like that because they do want to stay as far away um, from any kind of association with the murder of unborn children as they can. But my point is, don't use that as ground to judge them. All right, there's the elephant in the room. What's at stake? And what I mean by that is not what's at stake in terms of getting or not getting the vaccine. I mean what's at stake in terms of our living together as the body of Christ. There's the authority of God's commandments. Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus has another collision with his enemies, the Jewish religious leaders. And basically, he, he tells them that because of their tradition, they made void the law of God. And he gave a specific instance from the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and mother of how they did that. And so he says that um, they basically worship God in vain because they hold to their traditions and their human traditions void the law of God. And so we need to be careful here, here ourselves because when it comes to judging a brother or sister in the Lord who has been received by God, saved and justified by God, and we feel that we have the moral ground to do that, no matter which side of the controversy you're on. If you're not right concerning the absolute morality of the vaccine, either taking it or not taking it, then you're making the law of God void. And that always happens with the traditions of men. That's why we have to be careful. That's why there's actually liberty in God's law. When we realize what God's law says and does not say, then we realize, oh, wow, that means we're free with all of this other stuff. And I don't have to be enslaved to all of these other opinions and traditions and convictions. What else is at stake? Obedience to the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your brother. And if in your judgment of your brother or sister, based on the coronavirus 
vaccine is that they're guilty of murder and they're not, then you're breaking the ninth commandment. Remember that on Facebook. Remember what you put on Facebook. If you call your brother or sister in the Lord a murderer, that is someone for whom Christ died. That is someone who has been welcomed by Christ and you are calling them a murderer. Don't forget, God cares about what you put on social media. He sees the whole thing. I don't, because I'm not there. But God does. And then what's at stake? The glory of God in the church. So back to Romans. We uh, read chapter 14 earlier. Notice what Paul goes on to say in chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We who, who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as God has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's what's at stake. And what the Bible teaches here is that the glory of God is most displayed in the church when believers in Jesus from diverse backgrounds and with different opinions and convictions about a whole host of of amoral things are able to love each other and to receive each other, to live in harmony with one another, together to give one voice glorifying God because of the gospel. It's the gospel that unites us. It's the gospel that sets us apart from unbelievers. It's, it's not any other issue. That's what's at stake. And it's not just this particular issue. This is, this is the issue du jour. And frankly, in my lifetime as an American, I've never experienced something like this in our country where there's uh, such a big thing going on. And there is a mandate that violates Romans 14, by the way. But if it wasn't for this, it could just as well be something else because the devil wants to divide the church. If the devil can't destroy the church by closing us, he'll destroy the church from within how, as we bite and devour one another. And so as I close, let me just say, my brothers and sisters, if you are vaccinated, I love you and I accept you because Christ loves you and accepts you. If you are not vaccinated, 
I love you and accept you because Christ loves you and accepts you. If you decide to end up getting vaccinated because there are other issues at play, like your job perhaps, I am not going to judge your conscience and no one else has the right to except God, the Lord of your conscience. If you decide, if your conscience is bound to the immorality and the illegality of the mandate and you take it to its limit and you lose your job, I praise God for you and God will reward you for being true to your conscience. If you are going to get vaccinated or you have already gotten vaccinated for the, the well-being of loved ones, God bless you. God bless you. May we so love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls, that all other such things fade into the background.